are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You know, today is an awesome day, and here's why. Dr. David Busick is with us. Let me, let me, we got a fan in the house right here. Let me, let me talk to you a little bit about David. Um, he, is, he is on my, my daily prayer list, and here's why. I know very few people in my life who has been just saddled with the kind of responsibility that David has been saddled with. He is one of six general superintendents who oversees the work of the Church of the Nazarene around the world. So let me talk to you about what around the world means, okay? Uh, that means in 164 countries, 2.6 million Nazarenes, and he along with a board of five others are saddled with seeing overseeing the work of the Church of the Nazarene worldwide. So he literally travels the world. He'll leave tomorrow, and he will be on a seven-country tour over a period of three weeks. And so you understand why I pray for him daily. On top of that, he's blessed to be the husband of Christy, and then he is also uh, the father of uh, three wonderful kids. Many of you know them well because David pastored this church for almost eight years right before uh, I came 10 years ago. It's been an honor to follow him. Of all the things that I can say about David, um, and he's also going to dedicate a grandchild in the, in the next service, uh, but of all the things I can say about him, I would say this to you. David is, is, is my friend. Uh, I have very few friends in the world like David Busick, and I'm very, very grateful for him. And so I, I know that you're anxious and you're saying, let us welcome him. So would you welcome Dr. David Busick to preach for us? Good morning, BFC family. It's such a privilege to get to be here, to be with you. Uh, thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to be here today. And, you know, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give a word of appreciation to my pastor. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to say things like this, but he is my favorite pastor because he's the one who shepherds my family. And uh, there's so many things I love about Pastor Rick. I love his heart for the mission. I love his pastoral spirit. I love his preaching, his teaching. Uh, and there's hardly a week that goes by that we aren't communicating with each other in some way. And uh, I know that you'd like to join me just saying, in this month of appreciation, how much you love Pastor Rick. Would you join me in doing that? Love you. I remember one appreciation month that I was here as your pastor, and I, I don't know if it was a mistake, but I, I said how much I like pecans. And the next week, I was just uh, immersed in bags and bags and bags of pecans. So in case you're wondering what Pastor Rick likes, he likes Pro V1 golf balls. Pastor Appreciation Month, Pro V1 Golf Balls. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to pick up the reading with verse 16. We want to talk about the question, what is holiness? What, what does it mean to say, when we are part of the Church of the Nazarene, to say our mission is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations? What do we mean by that? Our core values, we are Christian, we are holiness, we are missional. 
What, what does it mean to be a holy person? What is holiness? Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word together? Verse 16 says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect... Go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we all say together, thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, come now and speak through your servant. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Jesus was teaching a crowd of people about the most common theme of his preaching ministry, which was the kingdom of God. And after his teaching, there was a young man who slipped up beside him and asked Jesus a very important question. Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life, to get eternal life? What are the requirements? What are the commands? What are the conditions that I have to meet in order to have life forever? I think it was an honest question. I think it was a sincere question. I mean, who doesn't want to know the answer to a question like that? Now, before I tell you what Jesus' answer was, let me give you a few things you need to know about the guy who asked that question. The Scripture here tells us four things about him. Number one, we find out that he was a young man. Now, I don't know for sure how old he was, but... Uh, considering the fact that scholars believe most of Jesus' disciples, his 12 disciples, were probably in their 20s. Some people say that the Apostle John may have even been around 16 or 17 years old. I'm just going to assume that this man was probably in his early 20s. He was a young man. The second thing we learned, though, is that he was a wealthy man. Only one thing better than being a young man, and that's being a rich young man. So we know that he had some means. We know that he wasn't struggling for money. And all of his material needs and desires were met. The third thing we know about him is that he was a ruler. That's a little bit harder to kind of interpret what that means, but I I think it basically means not only did he have some cash, but he was a successful person. He had some power. He had some influence. Maybe he was into politics. Maybe he he was like a mayor of his town. Uh, Maybe he was a young businessman who was working his way up the corporate ladder. But we do know this. To be a ruler meant that you were in charge of people. So he was young. He was wealthy. He was a ruler. But here's the fourth thing. 
He was religious. He kept the commandments. He was moral. He was ethical. He was respectable. Bottom line, he was a really good person. So here we have this young, this wealthy, this successful guy with a lot going for him who who knows a whole lot about religion, is a very good guy, which sounds a lot like you. Some of you are young. Some of you are young. If you have never put a stamp on a letter, if you've never used a phone that had a wire that was attached to the wall, if you think that vanilla ice is something you buy at Starbucks, you're a young person. I remember when my son Ben was graduating from high school and he said, Dad, I have a question for you. I've got to make this application to college and, and I need to figure out how to write, how to address a letter. So he's 18 years old. He'd never addressed a letter, but why would he? He was a young man. Some of you are, are young. By the way, we're all rich. We're not Elon Musk rich, but you do know that even the lowest socioeconomic group of people who live in, in central Oklahoma, we are wealthier than 99% of the rest of the world. I think we all understand that. And here's the other thing. We're all powerful. You and I have opportunities for a flourishing future that does not exist for most people in the rest of the world. And that's why I think that this story is so significant for us this morning because this this young man represents something that all of us in this room are. And he's asking some of the same basic questions that all of us in this room at least should be asking. How can we have a fulfilling life? How can we have the God-blessed life? And so he asked the question, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, said, you have to keep the commandments. He says, which ones? He says, don't murder, don't steal, honor your father and your mother, don't commit adultery, all those really, really big ones. And, and, and the, the young man said, I have done all of these things. We ought to pause right there and say, He's, that's amazing. He has done all of those things. He has kept all of those commandments. And yet, deep in his heart, he still believes that there's something there that is missing. That's fascinating to me. He he is a good person, yet something is unfulfilled in his life because he asked this question, what am I still lacking? He's trying to do the right thing. He's searching for a higher purpose. And I have the feeling he's asking Jesus, would you just give me one more thing that I can check off so that I can finally have the fulfillment that I'm looking for? And I love what Jesus does next. Because if you go, by the way, this is a story that appears in several of the Gospels. And if you go to the other Gospel that tells this story, the Gospel of Mark, it says that when he asked this question, what am I still lacking? Mark says that Jesus looked at him. He just looked at him, and it says he loved him. Jesus looked at him with loving eyes. He, he didn't look at this young man and said, boy, you've got some potential. He didn't look at him and say, boy, you've got some real possibilities. He did not look at him because of what he had to offer, but, but the gospel says Jesus genuinely loved him as he was in his current situation, and he treated his question with 
respect and with seriousness. And then Jesus uses the knockout punch. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And then I want you to come and follow me. Wow, Jesus, are you kidding me? I mean, I did not see that one coming. I, I just wanted to be a good guy. I just wanted to do some good things, but it's clear to me that you're not asking me for something. You're asking me for everything. I mean, what do you want, Jesus? My whole life or something? And the Bible says that this young man went away very, very sad because he had many things. Jesus was asking him for more than he could give. Is there nothing Jesus doesn't want? Now, sometimes people hear this story and and they think this is a story about money. This is a story about how hard it is for rich people to come into the kingdom of God and that, that all of us really need to be a socialist economy and all of those kinds of things. That's, that's not what this story is about. I'm coming to believe this is actually a story about what it means to follow Jesus right now in this life with our whole heart. This is a story about the holy life. This is a story about what it means to love God, not just with our 99%, but how to love God with our 100%, all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our minds. This is a holiness story. Now, I want to shift gears with you for just a second because I want us to look at an Old Testament scripture that I think correlates exactly with this story. So if you have your Bibles, just turn over with me very quickly to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Open up your Bible to the middle. You'll find the Psalms. Just go to the right, one or two books, and you'll be in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now, here it is on the screen. You can follow along if you want. Some of you, many of you know this, this scripture because it might even be hanging in your in your house somewhere on a plaque. This is one of my life scriptures. This is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Someone say all. Now let's talk about trust for a minute. What is trust? Trust is faith. Uh, trust is confidence. Trust is the belief that someone has your very, very best in mind, and you can fully give them your confidence and your faith. Trust in the Lord. How? With all your heart. Then it says, do not depend on your own understanding. This is not a text to say when you become a Christian, you need to check your brain at the door. That's not what this is saying. God gave us an intellect. He gave us a mind. But it's, it's also trying to say that when it comes to following God, that it's not just about 2 plus 2 equals 4. There are some things that requires us to do something that, that we have to do it beyond the end of a pencil. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And the word acknowledge here is an interesting word because if you look at various translations for the word acknowledge, you, you realize that this is a word that has several different meanings. I, I would say that probably 10 of your translations don't use the word acknowledge. It uses something else. 
which tells me that whatever that Hebrew word is in the original language, what it means is that it's something that translators aren't exactly sure how to translate. And so I made a decision to look up that word. What is the Hebrew word that's so hard to translate because all of our Bibles say something different here? And I found out that the word is yada. Someone say, say that with me, yada. And yada means to know someone intimately in a relational way. Not just to know something about another person, as in your head knowledge, but to personally and intimately know them with a heart knowledge. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. I know a lot about Patrick Mahomes. I'm a big Patrick Mahomes fan. I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So Dallas Cowboy fans, I love you, but I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So I know that Patrick Mahomes, I know that his dad was a Major League Baseball player. I know that Patrick didn't get a whole lot of offers coming out of high school. He was like a four-star recruit, maybe. Maybe he was a three-star recruit. We know that one of the offers he got was to Texas Tech. And he had a pretty good career. He threw for 700-plus yards one time against OU. I do remember that. I, I wasn't a fan of him that day. Uh, I also know that he was drafted in the first round that, that the Kansas City Chiefs moved up and got him about the seventh or eighth pick, and they had like the 18th pick, so it was a huge jump, and they already had a starting quarterback because Andy Reid, the coach, saw something in Patrick Mahomes that other people didn't see. We know that he was an instant success. We know that he won a Super Bowl. We know that he was an MVP. I also know that he has an amazing shoe collection. I've seen it on YouTube. I know a lot of things about Patrick Mahomes, but I don't know Patrick. I've never met Patrick. And so I know about Patrick, but I don't yada Patrick. Are you with me on that? Yada is such an intimate word that it's the word that's used in the Old Testament whenever it's talking about the relationship between a husband and wife in an intimate way, in a sexual way. So, so the word says, you know, Adam, yada, Eve, and Cain was born. That's the word that's used here in this scripture. In all your ways, it says, yada, God. In other words, it's not enough for us just to know about God in our head, but we have to not just intellectually, but from a heart knowledge, we have to intimately know God. There's lots of people who know things about God. Everybody in this room knows things about God. But the question of this text is, do you know God? Do you know him in such a personal and intimate way that, that you know the heart of God, and the heart of God is becoming your heart? Because the truth is, you will never fully know God's will, which is what that Proverbs passage is about, unless you really deeply, intimately know God. To search for the will of God is not like a treasure hunt we go on, but instead it's to, it's to find the heart of God and to begin to live in such an intimate way with the Father that all of a sudden His ways become our ways and His thoughts become our thoughts. It's the 100% life. In all your ways, know God intimately, and then he will direct your paths. So God wants to bring all of us into the kind of a relationship with him where we can, where we can say, Lord, I, I want to do whatever I have to do in order to please you. My life is now so in your hands 
I'm not just, I want, I want you to take control. I want to take my hands off the steering wheel, and I want you to drive this car so that, so that I'm totally and completely yours. And by the way, that is the ultimate question of the holy life. Here's the question. Is everything surrendered to Him? Is everything in His control, including those things that we love the most? So let's go back to this story very quickly of the rich young ruler. Good person, moral person, keeps all the commandments. And then Jesus just drops the bomb on him. There's just one thing you lack. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And here's where we get a little upset with Jesus. It's that perfect word. The word perfect can really, really be confusing because in our mind, we think it means flawless. In our minds, we think it means without error. Is Jesus really asking me to be a person who never makes a mistake? Well, that's because we don't really know what the word perfect means in this context. The word perfect doesn't mean without mistake. Here's what the word means. It means complete. It means wholeness. It means that every part of your life is working in such perfect sync with the mind and the heart of God that everything is under his control. You want to know what holiness is? This is what Dennis Kinlaw says. Holiness means there's not a corner of your life that's cut off from the control of Jesus Christ. 99% is, is almost in, but, but holiness means 100% completely given over to God. Jesus said, if you want to be whole, if, if you want everything to be aligned, if, you, if you're looking for the purpose that you tell me you're seeking for, then, then wholeness comes from following me. And then he says, I want you completely. I don't just want your stuff, because this isn't about stuff. Jesus is saying, I want you. Now, it's interesting to me that I cannot find another passage anywhere in the Scriptures where it tells us that Jesus asked one other person to go and sell everything they have and give it to the poor. If you can find that verse in any other context, please come and tell me. But, you know, I'm kind of relieved by that, actually. There's not one other verse that I can find. So why did Jesus ask this young man to do something like that? It's because Jesus knew the heart of this young man. This young man was saying, I will obey you in everything else in my life, but don't touch my money. Everything else is yours. I, my 99 is all in. It's, everything's on the table, but there's a 1% part of me that I'm holding back. And Jesus says, I don't want your stuff. I want you. And I want you 100%. And so in your case, here's what I want you to do. And it was a radical moment of decision. And when you want to talk about holiness, it's a radical moment when Jesus says to you, I don't want one corner of your life cut off from my control. It's okay to have a lot of money. It's just that that money can't control you. It all has to be in his hands. I think Jesus was looking for a relationship with this young man that was so intimate that, that it wasn't 99% anymore. It was 100%. I don't want your stuff. I want you. 
And I think the same is true for all of us. God doesn't just want things. God doesn't just want possessions. God wants to possess you. And he's not going to settle for anything less for your entire life than the whole package. Because he knows he has you. He has your all. And when he has your all, he has your love. I'm going to tell you one story to finish up. One of my favorite holiness preachers, I already mentioned his name of all time, was Dennis Kinlaw. Dennis died a couple of years ago. He's in his 90s. I still, I still talk to Dennis every day. I read his devotional book every single day. One of the great holiness preachers of my lifetime. And I'll never forget the first time that I heard Dennis Kinlaw preach. He was talking about how God's control over our lives is not about trying to be our boss, but it's about trying to, to have intimacy with us. And until we could be completely given over to his control, that our intimacy would be lacking at that point. And it was happening in my first year at the seminary. And Dennis Kinlaw was preaching this message. I was about four or five rows back in that seminary chapel. I'd always heard about the fact that God wanted all of me, but I always thought it was about God trying to kind of boss me around. And I wasn't even sure if, if God knew what was best for me. But I, I, I just found out in that moment, God wanted more than me. He wanted intimacy with me. And then, G, then Dennis told this story. Here's what I want to close with. He said it was 1964, and Dennis Kinlaw was teaching at a seminary called Asbury Seminary. And, and there was a young kid who came to the seminary who, who was Bruce. His name was Bruce. He came to visit the campus. At that point, I think Bruce was about 29 years old, and he had been living in Colombia and Venezuela. And Dennis was so intrigued by his testimony about how he got to the college, he said, I want you to come over for dinner tonight and have dinner with my wife and I, and we want to hear your whole story. And that night, Bruce told him that he had been a banker's son. And when he was about 15 years old, somebody had given him the gift of a New Testament. And at 15 years of age, Bruce read through the whole New Testament and all the way through, and then he started reading it through a second time. And halfway through the second time of reading the New Testament, Bruce gave his whole heart to Jesus Christ. And he just gave his life. He surrendered his life to Jesus. And when he gave his heart to Christ, he did an interesting thing. He went down to the bookstore, and he bought a world atlas. Now, if you don't know what a world atlas is, there's another confirmation that you're really, really young. But a world atlas is basically a book that you can go through, and each page represents one country of the world, and it gives you facts about that country and so on. And, and as Bruce prayed his way through that atlas, he just said, if the, if the Jesus who loves me so much also loves the world, then I want to love the world too. So every day he prayed for two countries in that world atlas. And as he kept praying his way through the atlas... He found his heart being drawn to two countries in particular, the countries of Colombia and Venezuela. And so he started to do some research on those two countries, Colombia and Venezuela, and he found that there were some primitive Indians who lived in those two countries who had never heard the gospel. And so Bruce told him, halfway through my university studies, I sold everything I had, which wasn't very much, and I bought a one-way ticket to Caracas, Venezuela, and at 19 years of age, Bruce arrived in Caracas, Venezuela. He had $72 left in his pocket. And as he's going through customs, the, the customs agent said, how long would you like to stay here? And Bruce said, permanently. 
They said, well, who's going to take care of you while you're here? Who's going to handle your finances? And Bruce said, God is. He said, well, that's a very noble thing to do, but could you give us God's Venezuelan address, please? And Bruce said, I haven't been here long enough. And the customs man said, look, you're a fine young man, I can tell that, but that's not enough for you to stay in our country. So we're going to have to send you back to the United States. Bruce was just credible. The next flight wasn't for a couple of hours, and so they took him over into a little room, and about an hour before he left, they said, why don't you go get a sandwich in the restaurant? And, and Bruce went over, and he just sat quietly eating his sandwich, when all of a sudden, a really tall, kind of distinguished Latino gentleman came over and started talking to him. He said, may I sit with you? Bruce said, yes. The man said, you're a gringo, aren't you? Bruce said, yes, I am. What are you doing all the way down here in Venezuela? And Bruce began to just share about how he had these, these tribes on his heart, and he wanted to go, and he wanted to give his life to making a difference for, to help them. And that man said to him in very, very good English, that's a very excellent thing to do. Can I help you with that? He said, well, who, who are you? And that man said, well, I happen to be the personal assistant of the president of Venezuela. And that very afternoon, the president of the country signed the documents allowing Bruce to stay in Venezuela. I don't have the time to tell you the rest of the story of the amazing impact that Bruce made, but he's now a very, very famous missionary who there have been books written about what Bruce did in those two countries. But Dennis Kinlaw shoved himself away from the table. He put his hands across his chest. He said, Bruce, I don't understand. You were 19 years of age. You, didn't, you hadn't finished your education. You didn't have any kind of support. There was nobody giving you resources. You were so on your own. Why couldn't you wait? And he said, Bruce looked away as, he, as if he had a secret. He wasn't sure if he should tell Dennis or not. But then he looked back at Bruce, and in a very quiet voice, he said, I had found an intimacy with Jesus that I was afraid I would lose if I didn't obey him completely. And at that point in that seminary chapel, looking right at me on the fourth row, Dennis Kinlaw looked directly into my eyes, and he said, do you want to know what is probably lacking more than anything else in the American church today? Intimacy with Jesus. Not just knowing Jesus with an intellect, not just knowing things about Jesus, but a deep, deep intimacy that knows and trusts part of Jesus until everything is completely his. Tell there's not a corner of our lives shut off from the control of Jesus. And Kinlaw looked at me and he said, that is holiness. And it was that morning in that seminary chapel that at myself now, probably 22 years of age, I walked down to that altar and I knelt down and I said, God, I thought I had given you everything, but today I want to be sure my 100% in, my whole life is yours. I, want to have a, I don't want to just have con you controlling my life. I want an intimacy with you that will guide every decision I make. And I want to tell you something. A thousand times over, I have never regretted that decision. 
Has my life been perfect? Have I been without error? Of course I haven't. I've made so many mistakes, and you know that because I was your pastor for those years. But I can tell you this, I have never regretted saying, Lord, my 100%. And there's times I've got to pull back, and I'll be honest with you. A lot of times I realize it's back to 99% again. For me, my 1% that I keep wanting to pull back in is my family. I want to give God everything except control over my family and my kids. But God keeps saying, is everything on that altar? Is it still there? And I keep saying, Lord, I want a deep intimacy with you. And so I keep giving it back. That's the life of holiness. So here's my question for you as our worship team comes back up. Is your 100% all in? What next step should I take for absolute and complete fulfillment in my life? There's just one thing you lack. 100%. All in. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for this story of a young man who you said, give me everything. You looked at him with love. You didn't judge him. You didn't criticize him. You didn't evaluate him. You simply said, I don't just want your stuff. I want all of you. So, Lord, today I want to give my 100% back to you. I want you to have complete control. I want to unqualified surrender of my life to you. So, Lord, if there's anything in my life today that I'm, that I'm holding on to, let me release it to you, Lord. We, I want to know you deeply. And for anybody in this congregation today who may be feeling the same, who may be feeling like, I've done everything else I know to do, but, but there's one thing I lack. Lord, would you help all of us just to trust you enough to say, that when we give you our 100%, we get all of you in return. Help us not to forget that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.